For even more in-depth thoughts and opinions on the most recent releases and all of your favorite films, be sure to follow True Critic on Twitter at RideQuistJake. True Critic is always releasing fresh, spoiler-free analyses on movies every week and is always open to suggestions on films that you would like him to watch. Once again, that's True Critic on Twitter at RideQuistJake. That's at R-Y-D-Q-U-I-S-T-J-A-K-E. Welcome to the very first episode of the True Critic Podcast. This podcast will come out weekly and every week we'll discuss something new in the movie world, whether it be a specific movie, some top 10 lists, or anything else that, frankly, I just want to discuss. We're going to talk about it. And today we're going to be talking about Star Wars. But before we can get started with that, I would like to acknowledge that this podcast would not be possible without the Cope Media Group. So joining me today, my co-host for today, is the CEO and co-owner of Coat Media Group, the associate producer of this podcast, and my personal friend, Kobe Manzo, who, before we start, is going to tell us a little bit more about Coat Media Group. First of all, thanks for having me, Jake. Really appreciate being here today. Talk a little Star Wars, but before we get into that, Coat Media Group specializes in professional quality video editing and audio content for corporate and personal video production. We produce videos for a lot of companies, different clientele. We cover any kind of event. And make sure that you contact us if you have any ideas. Awesome. Thanks, Kobe. All right. So today, in regards to Star Wars, we're going to be focusing specifically on The Rise of Skywalker, most recent release. And before we get into that, Kobe, I want to ask you, what's your relationship to Star Wars? My relationship <laughs> to Star Wars is quite an obsession. I mean, I've watched all the movies, seen everything that I really could get my hands on. The only thing I really have not gotten into in the Star Wars canon universe would be the books. And that's something mm-hmm. I think a lot of people you know, really haven't delved into too much, but Anything that I've seen, whether it be the animated series on Netflix, the new Disney Plus streaming service from all the movies and all the standalone films, you know, I've definitely gotten into all of that. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I would definitely say your relationship to Star Wars is far more in-depth than mine. Star Wars was not something I got into until, I think, freshman year of high school. Okay. It was always something that I considered just, I didn't think it would really be for me. I mean, yeah. I was never into Lord of the Rings or anything. That's fair. And But once I discovered it, I really enjoyed it. I would say that I still would consider you that you know a lot more about this than I do. But nonetheless, I really enjoy them, and I would love to start talking about them. Yeah. So in regards to Rise of Skywalker, I want you to take me through your initial thoughts on the film. Let's t- take it back, because you've seen it twice now, right? seen it twice, okay. yeah. So I had a really short turnaround. Yeah. I went on the Friday after coming out, Friday okay. night got one night to digest and kind of let that stuff permeate and mm-hmm. then got to go Saturday morning actually for the second watch yeah. and notice some of the more subtle tells in the movie. Yeah. And right off the bat, I would say it's best of the sequel trilogy ahead of Last Jedi and Force Awakens in my opinion. Okay. Just the overall execution and you know t- style of movie. And I, in my list, it actually crop, uh, tops, it's in the top five for my Star Wars movies overall. It just creeps in at that last five yeah. spot, but it's in there for the top five because... I understand and I acknowledge how hard of a task it is to wrap up a series like Star Wars. Oh, yeah. And because the directors, producers, everyone, they know they're not going to appease everyone. You can't please everyone with something of this size. You can never please anyone. So for them to do it in this fashion and really, you know, maybe not appease everybody, but they get a lot of people's respect for how they ended it. I think that's really impressive. Okay. Yeah. So when I first saw it, I've only seen it once, by the way. And when I saw it, I would be lying if I said I wasn't entertained. The whole movie is, it's incredibly fun. 
it moves at a very, very fast pace. Yeah. There's a lot going on. And um, I don't love that there's a lot going on, but at the same time, it's a lot of it works for me. And it's very fun. It's got this massive spectacle, and there's a lot of new, and there's a lot of old, and it's a lot of mixing things together, and it's very satisfying in a lot of ways. So I'd be lying if I said I didn't like it. But I definitely didn't love it. And come from one of the few people that I know that is a actually a big fan of The Last Jedi, this movie was kind of polarizing for me. Even yeah. though I really did enjoy it, I didn't love every decision they made. they made. And I feel like a lot of what was in this movie felt like it was just trying to fix what the mess they thought the last jedi was yeah and i feel like a lot of it although it's got um or it's in the star wars canon or um it's um mentioned in say the books or star wars rebels i uh i feel like it came out of left field for me personally yeah. but my overall enjoyment of the film was still there and i and i wouldn't i'm probably gonna see it again very soon but um for me, it probably ranks the th- my my least favorite of the trilogy, but I definitely okay. by no means think it's a bad movie. No, it's very entertaining, and like you said, but yeah. what I think was really important about what you said is mm-hmm. bringing the old and meeting it with the new. Yeah. Now, whether that be with the cast members, bringing in some of those old cast members from the original trilogy and having right. them mesh and see how they gel with the new cast members of this new trilogy, mm-hmm. or whether it be, like you said, with the new canon, like the Force abilities we saw right, in this, yeah. and they're kind of like testing the boundaries of some of the canon, Star Wars canon, that has been developed and really mm-hmm. polished over the years. But you take that, and then you try to gel that with the canon that comes in from these outside animated series that, like you said, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of people have not seen. Right. So yeah. you have to find that very, that very particular like balance mm-hmm. between you know giving rewarding those people who see all of this content you know right, those yeah. little subtle keys and tells yeah, yeah, that yeah. maybe not everyone understands but also you have a much larger audience that has not seen any of that so right. a lot of that might go over their heads if you really delve into it too exactly, much exactly yeah and i am one of those people that has not seen star wars rebels or any of the and tv it's perfectly shows all right yeah. exactly yeah and i mean like i understood was what was going on it definitely took some conversation after the movie to um you know know what this was referring to knowing what that was referring to but I don't think um, it. I think at some points it hindered the overall my overall experience, but not at every moment. Mm-hmm. So now I want to ask you, looking at this specific trilogy as a whole: Force Awakens, Last Jedi, now Rise of Skywalker. Knowing how the prequels and the original trilogy have now aged over time, what do you think the lasting impact of this trilogy will be? Now, the lasting impact is going to be, I think, for a lot of hardcore Star Wars fans, is that they tried to follow the original trilogy. You mm-hmm. see that in The Force Awakens, they kind of follow a somewhat similar formula as far as setting up the movie, a very similar formula. (laughs) But as you see, as they move on, they almost kind of got away from that. And there was a lot of backlash, but I will respect them for going out on their own because there are a lot of people, like I said, who are very, very much more than I am. Very, you know, developed and very... um, very devoted, very devoted yeah. to this series and, you know, what comes out on the screen. Yeah. So for them to go out on their own and kind of break that formula and do their own thing, is it takes a lot because they knew there was going to be backlash. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, I don't think this trilogy will uh, age nearly as well as the original trilogy. Agreed. Is, and I don't think any trilogy ever will, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, the prequels have aged over time as um, Revenge of the Sith has gotten a lot more respect as Very it's much aged, so, yes. But still not a lot of people enjoy Phantom Menace and Attack the Clones. Mm-hmm. With this, with this trilogy, it's it's kind of a mixed bag, you know, because I think all movies on their own are good movies. Yeah. But if you're to watch them sequentially over the course of a couple of days, you realize that there's some there's some issues within this story. It is mm-hmm. very up and down. It's a very rocky road to get to the final um, endpoint for this movie or for this um, trilogy. 
And I feel like that could hinder the lasting impact. But at the same time, I feel like there's a ton of satisfying moments within this trilogy that will help it age, I think, a lot better than uh, some people think right now, seeing with how a lot of people feel about The Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. Um, And this movie as well. But um, okay, so from here on out, we're probably going to get into a little bit more spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, I would probably recommend that you... um, Turn it off. Turn it off, yeah. Just don't listen anymore. Go see it and then listen again. So the first question I have to ask you... What are what are your favorite things in this movie? What are some so my, things you really liked? Yeah, like you said, this movie was so entertaining all the way through. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to start this off, preface it by saying I'm a Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. It's a Star Wars film. I'm going to enjoy it no matter what. I yeah. can pick it apart mm-hmm. all I want. But at the end of the day, I'm going to enjoy it. It's, like, it's right. not quite an addiction, but it's pretty darn close. Mm-hmm. Something that was very polarizing, you used this word earlier, someone was very mm-hmm. polarizing, was the quote-unquote, I have air quotes right now, killing yeah. off of Chewie. Oh, yeah. And I think that was a very ballsy moment for this crew because they realized the emotional connection that this fan base had to this mm-hmm. character, right? And they wanted to kind of mess with you and show you that pretty, eh, not, I wouldn't say very early off in the movie, but kind of in the middle road of the movie that, you know, this movie was going to be serious and they weren't going to pull any stops. And this was right. going to be, this was kind of setting the tone for down the line that they yeah. weren't going to shy away from making big points throughout yeah. this movie. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think a big part of that too is, um, Basically, the expansion of where the characters travel in this movie. Yeah. I thought, especially with Exegol, Exegol looked awesome. Amazing. Especially th- that wide shot where it's basically yes. it's just a giant reflection. One of, one of the, honestly, the better shots that I've seen in a movie this year. Yeah. I'd say the overall spectacle of the movie shines for me. And I think a big part of that is just the pacing and just how it's constantly moving. And I liked how, how much action, honestly, was in it. And I don't love every decision the story makes, like I said. But it's consistently entertaining, which I think The Last Jedi had moments where it wasn't. Agreed. And so I think in that sense, this movie definitely picked up the slack there. We talked about balancing like the old with the new. Right, yeah. Something that they also have had a little bit of trouble balancing mm-hmm. is kind of like getting that fan service, right? Those, you know, mm-hmm. those tribute to the originals. But I think mm-hmm. one piece that I really loved towards the end of The Rise of Skywalker was bringing back um, Maz, bringing back Maz Kanata. And yeah. she has the metal from a new hope and we can assume it's han's medal from a new hope and you know chewie has lost han right obviously in the force awakens and he loses leia now in the rise of skywalker and that was like that was like his group you know luke is gone obviously in the last jedi Mm -hmm. like that was his group oh yeah that was his group i mean does he have new friends and ray and finn and poe yes he likes those guys still got lando but i mean that was his group of people like those were his people and we saw how distraught he was when leia went Mm -hmm. and for really for me for maz to give him that medal that was the closest mm-hmm. I came to tears in the movie for yeah. me. Definitely. I loved and, it. Yeah, one of the best things about this trilogy is definitely meshing the old with the new. Because when you look at it, Force Awakens, is it's it's Han's movie. Yeah. And Last Jedi, that's Luke's movie. And in a lot of ways, this is Leia's movie. The swan song. Yeah, exactly. you're right. You can yeah. divide them up into that. Mm-hmm. And I think definitely, yeah, there was definitely some emotional moments. And especially with um, Leia's death too, Chewie's reaction to that mm-hmm. was I think as as good as it gets it right was, there. It was almost more poignant than Leia's actual death. Exactly. Because, you know, unfortunately we lost Carrie Fisher. Um, right, yeah. And she, you know, reprised this role from the grave. And, yeah. you know, that was, this was very special. You know, that meant a lot to yeah. a lot of people outside of her right, immediate yeah. they family. They did the best they could with In the Star Wars universe. But, you know, the way that she went out wasn't, you know, great because everyone saw it coming and blah. You can say mm-hmm. what you want. But that moment with Chewie afterwards where he falls to his yeah. knees and he, you know, lets out the yell and everything. That, yeah. uh, you felt that. Yeah. And even even with uh, C three PO, um, his sacrifice earlier yeah. in the movie, I mean, it was in the trailer where he's uh, I forget exactly what he says, but he's like they're like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "I'm taking one last look at my friends." Mm-hmm. 
even though it was in the trailer, it's still effective in the movie. I think a lot of the emotional points they wanted to hit worked Very. really well. And to go off that, one of my favorite things of this movie is, um, and he's he's been my favorite thing of the entire trilogy, is Kylo Ren. Yeah. I think, and a big part of it is, okay. first of all, Adam Driver's performance is Kylo Ren. And now Kylo Ren is such a conflicted character. And Very. a lot of people like to call him just like a straight up just baby. Yeah. And he honestly is. He has the look too that kind of fits uh, he, that. He, and he really does. He, very, he portrays that very well. I yeah. understand what you're saying. Yeah. He, yeah. There's a lot of moments where he looks like he's just about to cry. And it's it can be <laughs> funny. But at the same time, Adam Driver's performance as uh, Kylo Ren is incredibly convincing. Yeah. He, and I think he's been the bright spot of this trilogy amongst many other bright spots since The Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, you get glimpses glimpses of his true powers, Kylo Ren, that opening scene where you just see him just slaughtering people. That I thought that set the tone for the movie very well Agreed. and was an awesome scene for Kylo. I wish we had gotten more scenes like that throughout the trilogy. And his inevitable turn to the light side was everybody knew it was coming. Yeah, you and could I thought, see it down the road. Yeah, I thought the way they handled it was very well. I thought that lightsaber fight between him and Rey was beautiful very. honestly and every sense of the word from a filmmaking standpoint from how it fits in with the story was very very well done and um the decision to bring han back in that yes moment, and I the think, recreation yeah. of the scene from the force awakens exactly. where you you know you lead all this audience to one direction they think they know what's going to happen and then boom he turns around and throws the lightsaber exactly. into the water yeah and i i love that part of the trilogy and this part that part of this movie and but like i said i think it doesn't work without adam driver i think he like He's getting a lot of recognition for other movies he's been in. Yeah. But I truly think this whole trilogy doesn't work without him. He is such an interesting character. And where, I mean, you got some of that with Vader, but you got a far just deeper dive. Yeah, it was into very, true... Vader was very one-dimensional. Yeah. You knew how he, what he was going to do. You knew how he was going to act. You know, obviously yeah. up until he saves, you know, right, his yeah. son Luke exactly. from the Emperor. But yeah. they, he was very one-dimensional and he mm -hmm. was that villain where you yeah. saw him. But you see Kylo Ren, obviously very menacing. Mm -hmm. He's very intimidating character. But yeah. when he takes off that mask and he starts talking about his feelings, like you yeah. can almost, it's one of those characters, you can kind of feel what he's feeling and understand what he's going through. Exactly, yeah. And, I mean, to go with that, too, the whole relationship between Rey and Kylo Ren yeah, and special. the use of force between them, the use of the force between them, is, I, I think, maybe my favorite thing about this trilogy. Because as it was, when it was established in The Last Jedi, the way they communicate with each other and especially how they bring um, location into it. Oh, my gosh. It's like fantastic. It's, it's fantastic. Awesome. It's awesome. And the way they use that in this movie, too, I thought, really was even better than The Last Jedi. And you talk about, you know, you probably could have even used a couple more scenes to really showcase his abilities and how mm -hmm. far he's come. Just like we see um, mm -hmm. right at the, the first scene with Rey, you go into the woods and she's got 20-some-odd rocks circling around oh, yeah. her. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh my gosh, are you serious? And she does a little backflip and lands on her feet. Yeah. And you're like, wow, like she, she's gotten her stuff together, right? Leia's done a good job teaching her. Mm -hmm. But talking about Kylo Ren and... Um, you know, maybe you could have utilized a little bit more of him and those, you know, those fight scenes to really Definitely. reinforce yeah. because they did a lot of reinforcing that emotional, like that touch connecting side of Kylo Ren. Maybe we did need a little, see a little bit more of that tough, you know, that intimidating Kylo Ren mm -hmm. and that coming into that is the Knights of Ren. Yeah, exactly. They could have utilized yeah. those a lot, you know, that they, they were good. Mm -hmm. There were good points and there were bad points. Yeah. I thought, um, though, that some of the cinematography, like some of the shots that, you know, mm. that they showcase the Knights of Ren, they had this very, you know, this very intimidating, yeah. very dark, ominous say, look ominous, to them. Yeah. And the, the one shot that comes yeah. to mind is, um, what's the planet with Babu Freak and all the the oh, game yeah. but but yeah. they go, the um, Ray and Finn go into a hallway and then the shot stays there. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay. What's going on? It pans to the left and starts to move forward. You got fog rising up from mm -hmm. the hallway, and here come the Knights of Ren down the middle of the hallway. Yeah. And you're like, oh, man. 
Like these guys are the real deal, but yeah. we never we never really get to see it happen. Exactly. It reminds me a lot of um, Captain Phasma. Yeah, she agreed. Was, she was agreed. Te- she was teased in like the Force Awakens almost, and then she's dead in Last Jedi. Almost like a main character, and a- then she's yeah. gone. Exactly. Which you know, with someone like Snoke, it almost makes sense because we now de- you know we now develop that he was really Palpatine's creation. So right, for him yeah. to be killed off, he's just a pawn. Yeah, makes t- total sense. Yeah. But Phasma, she doesn't really fit into the Star mm-hmm. Wars equation anywhere. Yeah. And the, and what you're talking about with this cinematography and also just the overall camera work, it comes from J.J. Abrams. It's yeah. part of the reason why I like Force Awakens as generic as the storyline may be in yep. the introdu- introduction it's to the characters. Execution. It's his his um his knack for the camera, his ability to use these different tilts, angles, pan zooms to just immerse you in this story and really make you feel the weight of the situation that each character is in it's i think something we didn't get in any of the previous star wars movies and it helps this feel as fresh and modern as it does which i think is a big strength for these movies yeah for sure and you talk about like those Mm -hmm. camera movements and something that comes to mind immediately when you talk about these camera movements is when we first see exegol and we see the final order rising from underneath exegol and now you could have portrayed that a lot of ways, but when that shot cuts back and you see a couple Star Destroyers, then the lightning strikes and you see about yeah. a couple hundred behind them yeah. and the shot just stays there. Yeah. And that's kind of that moment where everyone in the yeah. theater just let out a breath. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, the visuals of this movie are definitely groundbreaking and awe-inspiring. All right, so we've talked about some of the things we, we both of us enjoy in this movie. Now, what are some things you didn't like in this movie? Now, one thing, I know we've gotten to characters a little bit, but I'd like to keep going into that. Um, John Boyega's character, Finn. Uh, yes. I, you know, they really did not wrap up the storyline. If mm-hmm. there is one for Finn, which it had a great, it had a very promising start mm-hmm. with uh, FN21, whatever number yeah. he was, um, defecting. 2187. 2187 yeah. from mm-hmm. the First Order, defecting from the First Order. Now, we don't really wrap up his storyline. You, you, don't, you don't wrap up a storyline or you don't wrap up any kind of possible romance, which for me as a Star Wars fan, not uh-huh. as important, but I know a lot of casual people, they really were looking for that. And there was a that. lot set up there. There, there was a, a lot set up. I mean, we never understand, you know, what was the meaning of him? What did he have to tell Ray so badly when exactly. they're sinking in the sand? I, I meant to, to tell you, like, everyone assumes that it was like, I love you, like, Ray, yeah. whatever, but we don't know. It could have been that he's Force-sensitive because we get a lot of that in this movie. <laughs> we do, and they tease that, and they don't delve into yeah, that at all. At all. And that was yeah. very yeah. Was very frustrating yeah. so it's a big yeah I'll, that's oh, one of the things that i have is that in its effort to fix a lot of what was done in the last jedi yeah it leaves a lot of stuff open like we said with finn also um the final shot of the last jedi is that little boy on um uh, yes canto bite the casino planet so yeah i thought about that a lot and obviously they don't mm-hmm. delve into it at all they don't at expand all. upon all. that no. they really don't <laughs> so i'm thinking in their minds they yeah. kind of left it there as something if they wanted to, they yeah. could pursue that storyline if yeah. they needed something in, in the back of their mm-hmm. head or whatever. But I'm thinking it's more of like a there's still hope in the galaxy. Right, there's yeah. still people who believe in the rebels. Yeah. There's not everyone is loyal, obviously. So uh-huh. I think that's more of the picture they were trying to right. paint there. I, I 100% agree, but I just can't help but think how much more effective that shot would have been if it was at the very end of this movie yes. rather than last year. Yes, uh, that may, that's a very <laughs> good point. Because then it's just a completely open door now. That's a very good point. On it. Yeah. Especially with Rey, you know, supposedly being the last of the Jedi. Exactly. And then you yeah. see this little fella yeah. grab the broomstick uh-huh. and you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's yeah. not over. Yeah, I know. And you get everything with a yellow lightsaber too, but and then there's just other things that just aren't answered. Yeah. And then um, one of my biggest issues and I have a lot of examples here, is yeah. just the overall convenience of a lot of things. In the yes, movie. yes. Specifically, first, um, is the dagger. The okay, dagger yep. is a very, very necessary plot device in this movie. 
And not only the fact that the dagger has written on it the exact location oh, of the Sith yeah. Wayfinder, also the their tool. Yeah, their um how they find this dagger is incredibly convenient. The chances of them falling in this pit directly where it is are astronomical. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and and it then is... CPO can read the Sith symbol on the vehicle down exactly. there, but he cannot decipher the Sith writing. Yeah. Although I will, to defend that scene for one point, is if for those of you who watched The Mandalorian, which Jake, I don't know yeah. where you're at. Episode but, three. Yeah. Okay, so you're not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah. But for those of you who are up to date on The Mandalorian before seeing this movie, mm. that was big. That was a big scene because yeah. Ray with that little, that worm, lizard, whatever you want to call oh, it, that monster. The, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. With that down there, you know, and she's like, okay, mm-hmm. don't shoot it, don't shoot it. And she sees that it's been damaged. Yeah. And she reaches down and, you know, they call it transferring of the life the right. life force, mm-hmm. right, into the creature and she heals it. Now, I'm going to spoil a little bit of the Mandalorian here. I'm sorry, but we see mm-hmm. a little bit of that in the Mandalorian. I won't tell you from who yeah. and I won't tell you how. Yeah. But that's something that I thought it was cool that they, you know, outside of the immediate movie series, they're tying in these different right. aspects of things that we can see along the timeline. So that was yeah. that was definitely kind of cool yeah. moment. I thought the force healing stuff was very cool. But another, and it's just another thing that to me feels like it came out of left field. Because yeah, only it because did. It's, it did. it's used multiple times in this movie. She uses it on the and snake. And it's never been previously she, used. She uses it on Kylo. Kylo uses it on her. It's a back and forth thing. That, <laughs> and, oh, that beautiful kiss. Oh, yes. my gosh. The and, kiss, Raylo. Uh, <laughs> it, it hasn't even been mentioned in any of the previous films no. in this trilogy. And, and so it's tough. But it that's is. like, you know, like I said earlier, I do respect mm-hmm. them, though, for testing the limits of this canon force abilities. And yeah. while some of them were bigger hits than others, you know, obviously with transferring Ben Solo's lightsaber through the yeah, connection and, awesome, you know, too. seeing the location when she's in his quarters, yeah. those kind of things were big hits with the audience, obviously. And you can just gauge the room when oh, those yeah. scenes are happening. Yeah. But something like that, it is it is tough because you think, you know, maybe you should tease something like that. But I guess that was their way. The Mandalorian was their way of kind of showing people like right before, like, oh, crap, like we didn't show any of this. Let's let's make sure this is included somewhere outside and, you know, other part of the Star Wars universe yeah. so that people have a little bit of prior knowledge yeah. built up. I know. And yeah, that like helps me get into before I get into more of my issues with the convenience. Yeah. Is um, I know a lot of people have this issue and it's just the overall feeling that there's no roadmap for this trilogy. Yeah. Like I said, watching them individually, the films, they're all good movies on their yeah. own, I think at least. Watching them sequentially, you can just immediately They don't tell. clip together <laughs> very. They don't clip yeah, together very yeah, well. They're puzzle pieces that don't necessarily fit together. And that's something that the prequel, yeah. well, the original trilogy obviously did very well. It did. But even the prequels, I thought yeah. you can see you can see where one right, ends yeah. and another begins. There's mm-hmm. that there's that clear line, but there's also that yeah. you can see the you can see the other side almost. I don't for lack of yeah. a better term, you can see where one ends and one begins. Yeah, the issues with the prequel trilogy are not story story no. related. They're it's, acting. Yeah, they're, there's, they're there's, writing, there's a plethora of issues writing. with that, yeah. yes. But uh-huh. the, the actual storyline is not one of them because it had been prior it's entirely established. That's the yeah. thing. And, but yeah, getting back to the convenience issues I had, another one was um, uh, speaking of the dagger, and um, I forget the name of the planet where they find the other X stormtroopers which was another weird thing to include in that movie. Yeah, it was very different. And they talk about there, you talked yeah. about Finn with his foreign sensitivity. Yeah, I know. And they sit there and they're like, we didn't know what came upon us. You know, we all dropped our uh-huh. weapons. It must have been the force. Yeah. Maybe it's because you're working for a diabolical organization yeah. that slaughters civilians. And maybe uh-huh. all of you just decided, hey, I've had enough. Yeah, and that's just not something you set up in the last movie of a trilogy. No, that's not something. at all. That's a different <laughs> storyline. That's yeah. entirely different. Exactly. But um, when they get to that planet, 
and Ray is using the dagger to um, almost like the almost like a protractor to look at the Death Star and yeah. find the specific pinpoint of the, the destroyed wayfinder. location. And yeah. she's standing in the exact right spot. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! And the red lines up with the tip, yeah, even yeah. though it's been sitting in there for you know yeah. however many years. Exactly. You have no idea. You know you don't know like, the exact time frame that that right. piece of the Death Star yeah. has been sitting there to conveniently have that red piece. But yeah. you know it's it's just one of those things that you have to write it off because exactly. of the force it's, and whatnot. But yeah, I understand the convenience of it. It's a lot to tie up in a short amount of time. But, it is. Um, and one it more thing is. that I, or, I'm sorry, two more things I wanted to hint at. One of which was um. In the final battle scene, we we know before they go to Exegol, Lando and Chewie leave and try to help or um, get as much gather. Help. Yeah, they try to gather, they gather as much rally help the, from troops. the resistance supporters as they can. And um, we knew in Last Jedi when they battle on the uh, crate, salt, yeah, on the crate. salt planet, the last stand, yeah. or so they thought. Yeah, no, there was no one there to help them. Nobody know, showed up. Right in this movie, there's far more of an emphasis on hope. Oh just, yeah which is a universal theme throughout the Star Wars um, universe. And rightly but, so. Yeah. But in this one, we, he, it seems like he gets, or Lando and Chewie get the entire galaxy to they show They bring up. everybody <laughs> and their cousins. Exactly. So, now something that I thought, this is one yeah. of my immediate thoughts after the movie is, it would have been kind of neat if they wrapped this whole point up with something how, you know, maybe the Rebellion realized, like, oh my gosh, like last yeah. time, like last time we tried this, the Empire jammed our signal. Right. And yeah. nobody showed up. Like, let's fix this mistake and mm-hmm. do it the right time this time. And then, boom. Like, yeah. there was hope. We were right. Like, there are people out there who believe in us. That would have been a lot better. That would have been mm-hmm. something that you could have been like, uh-huh. okay, like, this is legit. Like, there, you know, last time there was just a mistake. The Empire knew what they were trying to do. Yeah. This time, like, they're out there doing their own uh-huh. thing, calling people. And the Empire has no idea. Yeah. So, you know, that, that was just something that I think yeah. they could have wrapped up a exactly. lot better. And, I mean, like, thinking about it, too, in hindsight, with The Last Jedi um, on crate it's just the first order it's, yeah it's it's kylo red and i mean there's not a ton of first order ships there but i mean there's no. there's a there's enough but um nice and, and nobody the shows final up. order the final order thousands of these star destroyers with planet destroying capability. We, <laughs> yeah. we assume now we don't know for sure but we assume that yeah. each one of those ships has planet destroying capabilities yes and and everybody shows up yeah and I, obviously they didn't know what they were showing up to yeah i guess and i understand that like it's the final stand and i guess they maybe had this preconceived notion that everything would have been over had they not showed yes. up but it still seems a little odd that everybody showed up to this one and not a single person showed up to the last one now this is actually that's <laughs> one of the things i think they were almost compensating is the right word for a lack yeah. of just space battles fleet yeah. versus fleet space yeah. battles we love it we see it in all kinds of star wars um, whether it be the movies or the side series, mm-hmm. we see it all the time. Is those fleet versus fleet space battles, right? And we really don't get that really in the Rise don't. of Skywalker. Even the last battle, I'm not going to call that a fleet. It's yeah. a bunch of freighters and traders and people who just show up. Which you know what? That's great. Mm-hmm. The rebels, I was very disappointed. Their fleet was lackluster, and I understand that they are the rebels. They're very unequipped mm-hmm. when equi- when they like compared to the first or final orders, you know. Mm-hmm. But to have like one capital ship, and that's being mm-hmm. generous when I say capital ship. Yeah. And to have just like this little ragtag group of fighters, you know, that was that was something that for me, like I just wanted to see a little bit of a space battle. Like yeah. that's that's something the defining moment in any Star Wars movie is the space battle, a big turning right. point of any movie. Yeah. And um with the final order too, the final order, the biggest thing it has going for it is just how big it is. Yeah. <laughs> just being blunt and I mean you, you really see that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you get an incredibly little amount of explanation as to how we've got how or how the final order got so many of these yes what the capabilities are like you hinted at earlier yeah 
who Palpatine has working for him, how Palpatine got to the position where he is in this movie, and and even um in the end when there's a face to face confrontation between Palpatine and Rey. Yes. And there's all these Sith like cult members in a coliseum like who are they where did they come yeah. from <laughs> so yeah so we assume those are like all the sith lords yeah. right those are right. all the sith lords at the sith temple this is the unfindable quote-unquote unfindable sith temple hideaway whatever yeah. so with this should be the destruction of the sith in its entirety yeah that's really what it should be yeah. and that's but the implication we got. that's the implication mm-hmm. we got which is okay but you're right there's a lot of missteps here and we only see what what I would one shot that I would have liked to see was the factory where they made all of these exactly. things. You know yeah. they got to make these things before they bust yeah. through the surface of Exegol, right. and we see what I want to say half a dozen workers over by like Snoke's little aquarium, whatever you call exactly, it, right yeah. there. That he had a bunch of floating Snokes yeah, in there. Right, and yeah. Obviously, we see all the Sith um, mm-hmm. people in the Coliseum when they have their confrontation. But yeah. man, that would take a lot to put that together exactly. in secret. So right. and a big part of it, I think, comes back to this roadmap thing because Palpatine was yeah. a complete surprise going into this movie. Oh yeah, nobody knew he was coming until we got that, that the trailer, the, the trailer. trailer, yeah. So and I mean, if there had been, you know, because I mean, like, I mean, this trilogy mostly does a really good job of tying the old with the new, and I think if they would have taken opportunities in that in those first two movies to reference or hint at the possibility of Palpatine still being out there, yeah. It, that would have been a setup. A lot more impactful. So, do you think they didn't even think about it? I, I genuinely do. Yeah, I genuinely. I would think. have to agree with that because yeah. you know I thought that there are actually I genuinely believe there are more people before this movie came out. Before we saw the laugh in the trailer, mm-hmm. there were more people who believed that either a Boba Fett is alive after being dropped into the Sarlacc pit and right. you know Return, Return of the Jedi, Jedi yeah. or that Mace Windu was somehow still alive right. after Revenge of the Sith. You know I. Th- think that in the star wars universe there are more people fans that actually believe those two are alive than palpatine mm-hmm. because we see such a finite end to right, palpatine yeah. that that's supposed to feel you know uh-huh. very solid and a big part of that is ryan johnson who directed last jedi his decision to kill off snoke yes and i think um snoke was a intriguing character but yeah i mean one that wasn't nearly as interesting as the em- as the emperor but of um, course it's Still, tough. people were people were you know interested in knowing more about him and open to the possibility of him being as big of a threat. Agreed. And but going along with that though is the original trilogy of Star Wars had th- had three different directors, a different director for each movie. Yeah. So each movie is wholly its own in that way, but it also had this concise story that yeah. they wanted to tell. With this movie, there was originally supposed to be three different directors. J.J. Abrams was going to do the first, uh, he which he did. He did Force Awakens. Um, Ryan Johnson did. Last Jedi nice and time. Colin Trevorrow was originally scheduled to do Rise of Skywalker. He he's the guy who made Jurassic World, mm. which is I mean not a great movie, but, but um, he has experience. Yeah. but with Last Jedi, J.J. Abrams thought he messed it up so bad that they that Disney agreed with him and they fired Colin Trevorrow and rehired reprised his role J.J. Abrams to do this movie. Yeah, and, and good on them. Yeah, I mean, I would hate. I mean. No offense, obviously, but I hate. I would have hated to see what would have happened um, with that. And I know I don't get much. And personally, I don't get too much into ratings myself. But yeah. something that I saw on social media the other day, and I thought I found this pretty shocking. You look at the Rotten Tomatoes score mm-hmm. for Star Wars: The Last Jedi, which you know I, you know you love it, yeah. but I, I believe I just I wouldn't be exaggerating if I say you're in the minority from people yeah. that I've oh, talked yeah. to. Viewers for sure are definitely exactly. Yeah, so the Rotten Tomatoes score was a ninety-one percent from critics. Very impressive. Very impressive. The yeah. audience score, however, was a forty-three percent. 
little yeah. under 50%. And that's just very lackluster for a movie of this caliber coming off The Force Awakens, who did, oh, you yeah. know, very well. Yeah. And then you look at The Rise of Skywalker. Obviously, you have J.J. Abrams coming back. The audience score is up to 86%. A lot of people enjoyed this movie. But mm-hmm. for some reason, that tomato meter is sitting at 55%. Mm-hmm. Now, why do you think that is? That there's this despairingly different opinion um, on these movies between the critics and the audience? I personally think a lot of it comes from preconceived notions about filmmakers. Yeah. And I, partly because Ryan Johnson, his filmography, he, he, in the critics' eyes, he's yet to make a bad movie. All of his movies have incredibly high critic scores. He's made Looper, most recently made Knives Out, which is yeah. getting a lot of critical acclaim. He made a movie called Brick, which a lot of critics love. And I think they instantly assumed that with such a um, unique, with a filmmaker with such a unique voice and who is consistent as he is in terms of the quality of his films, they instantly assumed it was going to be good. Yeah. And on its own, I definitely think it's a really good movie and it definitely makes some really bold and ballsy decisions. And I think that they thought that what the first, or I'm sorry, the last Jedi set up was going to be paid off in a way that was, um, I guess more satisfying to their tastes. And I also think, um, uh, Ryan Johnson, I think did a very good job of with Ray and Kylo. He did not do a great job with Finn. No, he and, did not. But I do think the relationship between Ray and Kylo, yeah. which honestly might have been the focal point. I believe it yeah. was the mm-hmm. focal point of right. this trilogy. Yeah. but I And I think Ryan Johnson made the decision. He made Kylo Ren the, suple- the supreme leader of the First Order, mm-hmm. and he killed off Snoke. And I think Colin Trevorrow and Disney were like, I don't know what to do now. Yeah. And I think J.J. Abrams was the, spot. was the only one who was like, just let me do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like it was that sort of thing. They were happy to almost hand off the reins exactly. to somebody who had prior experience in this field. Yeah, so. and so I think that's what it is. And I think while it is incredibly satisfying to see Palpatine again, and I think that um, he is a very menacing presence in this movie, I still think a lot of the implications surrounding him and his power in this final order is very vague. Yeah, and I, that's the one word that... Mm-hmm. I wouldn't use the word to summarize the whole movie, but it definitely yeah. summarizes parts of it is vague. There's yeah. a lot of questions that go unanswered. And one of them for me is that does the war with the First Order go on after defeating the Final Order? Now, obviously, they're without their supreme leader, Kylo Ren, who mm-hmm. perishes. But you have these other people who are mm-hmm. obviously very hungry, very power hungry. You yeah. see that throughout the Empire, throughout the Galactic Empire, you know, the Supreme, whatever kind of order there is. We see these power hungry individuals that are looking to climb this metaphorical ladder. Mm-hmm. So do you think that, um, obviously we're not probably going to get closure on yeah. that. You know, maybe we do, maybe we don't. But do you think that war still wages on after the um, defeating the final order? You see, I think that they wanted us to believe that it's over, but... They introduced, I'm sorry, I forget his name, the new general, the guy that kills General Hux. Yes, the one that mentions that he served Palpatine yeah, in the past. Exactly. Like, kind of implying that he used the same right. technology to stay around, but then we don't get clarification on that. Right, yeah. And that's something that, you know, I haven't done, you know, quite mm-hmm. as much research on that I, I should have, but mm-hmm. it's something that, you know, I, being pretty well-versed in Star yeah. Wars and the canon of Star Wars, I didn't know what was going on. And right, I felt yeah. a little bit left out right there, I'll be honest. Yeah. And even even the stormtroopers in this movie, they have definitely more of a, um, a vocal presence in terms of they get more speaking lines. They do, it. they do. And that's and, something we're seeing more commonly, even and, in The Mandalorian yeah, and other true, standalone true. series. And Which even is nice. this, yeah, you see it with uh, just their just their dialogue. You can tell a lot of them really believe in the first order mm-hmm. and like basically the what the the goals of the empire and all that. And so I think honestly, the war probably does wage on, but uh, or rage on, but uh, I think we're supposed to believe that it's over. I would agree with that. And I think you know it's kind of like a little weird, little tangent, but mm-hmm. that's something that made the Clone Wars, the animated series, so different in that you develop these relationships with. Not only the Jedi and not only the leaders and the main characters and protagonists, mm-hmm. but the troops. 
and the leaders, you see these, they have these side missions where they have, you know, very individual troops and you develop these pretty meaningful relationships with these characters. And when they die, you know, it's just a clone trooper. Well, you don't feel like that. Yeah. You feel like you just lost one of the main members right. of this show. And I think that connection is something that kind of got lost in translation as they kept moving forward. And I'm glad to see they brought that back with the individuality yeah. of each of these troopers. Yeah, I definitely agree. All right. Two more things I want to um, hit on before we wrap this up. I personally felt with Leia's use of the force on Kylo, I my biggest question is why why wait so long and why now exactly. yeah why now why I, now i understand that it's very cinematic to include it at the point that they very. did and um it's supposed to feel like leia's movie you know because yeah. of what happened with carrie fisher of course but just in terms of how it relates to the overall story and how it fits in with the pacing of the movie it's it's another thing that's just completely out of left field for me. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I would agree with that because you already have this point where like, okay, mm -hmm. we get our lightsaber duel. This is our first, like, this is our, we get our lightsaber duel. So and people it, yeah. are already, you know, they're on the edge of their seats because you're watching Kylo Ren and mm -hmm. Rey, uh, Rey Palpatine. Right, you're yeah. watching them battle it out right now and you have this chaotic background. And this is something they accomplished also in Revenge of the Sith on Mustafar. You have this very mm -hmm. chaotic background, but it almost feels like it disappears mm -hmm. because you're so focused on this lightsaber battle happening right now. And that's something I think they did a good job of. But then you go back and you have this, you know, Leia knows what she has to do. And you're like, excuse me? Like, yeah, what and how? How? When? What? And just speaking of like that, why now? Like, Luke and Leia knew that yeah. Ray Palpatine was, in fact, Ray Palpatine. Yeah. For, we don't even know how long. Right. But you're going to save that just for the, you know, for the viewers. You're going to save that all the way till the end that yeah. they knew and they couldn't have done anything to stop that. Yeah. Another thing with the whole why now and also going on like it didn't feel planned was uh, Hux as a spy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I am the traitor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it's over like that. He gets killed in the next scene. Yeah. The only thing I liked about his character on the film was when he complimented Kylo on his new helmet. Right. Yep. Oh, I think it looks yeah. pretty good. And when he died. I thought that was a good scene. I yeah. thought that was a funny scene. And it, it kind of wrapped yeah. up his little very minimal story arc right yeah. there. It wrapped it up. And I think uh -huh. it did a good job of it. Yeah. I just wanted to mention that real quick. All right. Last thing. Um, what did what did you think of Ray's decision to call herself Ray Skywalker? Ray Skywalker. Now talk about polarizing. Yeah. Talking to my buddies, you know, after the film, and I think we were split about fifty fifty. Mm -hmm. I kind of respected it, but I also think that how many common citizens, like there was some random lady who walked by the Lars house on Tatooine, which is the original um, place where Luke grew right, up, yep. and um, well. Side note, that shot with the two sons with her, and that, that was beautiful. But side note, anyways. It was expected. Yeah. It was expected, but, <laughs> but beautiful. Still, still, still beautiful. They yeah. did a great job. Anyways, this lady who walks by, do you think she knows about the final <laughs> order and the struggles <laughs> of the rebellion? And you're going to say Skywalker. The shot should have gone back to her, and she should have been like, okay, and? Yeah. She doesn't know. If you would have said yeah. Palpatine, she would have said the same thing. Okay, nice to meet you, Ray Palpatine. Yeah. She does not know, and mm -hmm. it's a very meaningful point in the movie, and I understand that, but mm -hmm. even more important to me in that scene is the yellow lightsaber that Lay pulls out that finishes mm -hmm. the movie. Right, yeah. What are your... Th I know I have I have a pretty pretty yeah. strong idea on this, but what are your thoughts? Anything? Um, my thoughts are that it was added in the movie to sell toys. Really? I really think... I know there's a lot of Star Wars lore behind the purpose of this and yes. a yellow lightsaber, but... Um, now, you have Ray with a blue yeah. lightsaber. Now, you can get her with the yellow one. Exactly. And, okay. and, but from just the story as a whole and... I, I don't know. I just, I mean, it's the same thing with like Babu Frick, even though I loved Babu him. Babu Frick. He was made to sell toys. Uh, <laughs> that I can understand. Yeah. Adorable character. Yeah. That makes sense. But for yeah. me, 
what the yellow lightsaber symbolizes. The, we see a lot of different colored lightsabers throughout the Star Wars universe, but mm-hmm. the yellow lightsabers that we see are actually used by the Guardians in the old Jedi Temple during the Galactic Republic. Mm-hmm. Now, something that's very significant about that is when Ahsoka Tano, Anakin Skywalker, um, you know, before Darth Vader, his apprentice, mm-hmm. she actually leaves the Jedi Order. After being accused, this is all in Clone Wars, she leaves the Jedi Order, which is canon. She mm-hmm. leaves the Jedi Order after being accused of this crime and treason. Once she leaves, she ditches her green lightsabers. She chooses to pick up two white lightsabers. Yeah. And this is explained that it's used to signify no allegiance to the Jedi or the Sith. Now, something that is very interesting is that the Jedi use, you know, they're very calm. They are morally taking the high ground, while the Sith are very impulsive. They use their anger and their strength. Mm-hmm. The Guardians of the Jedi were supposed to be this balance. There was no emotion. There was no meaning. To, and they just did their job, and they did it well, right? Or maybe not that well, because they yeah. were all killed. But, <laughs> <laughs> but So that, to me, is something that I don't know how much you want to read into it, but I think, for, for me, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Although she calls herself all of the Jedi, and now she's gonna ditch her lightsaber for a yellow lightsaber that has no connection, mm-hmm. it was, yeah. it was and interesting. Arguably the most notorious Jedi in Luke Skywalker, and calling herself Ray Skywalker. Yes, I see. I I wish she would in that moment would have called herself Ray Palpatine. Yes, I, I, I thought it would have been really cool if she just owned it. Yeah, and just mainly, moved on. From yeah, it. moved on from it. Um, made a new name for herself within the um legacy of the Jedi and the Sith. Yeah, and just. I thought it would have been a cool way to end off that trilogy, and I thought it would have made it more of its own thing. Yeah. I know that's uh, far, far-fetched far to say about just one line in a trilogy of movies. No, it's more, much more than one line, as we yeah, know. It's, yeah, the power of that moment is definitely, arguably, going to be the most memorable thing about this whole trilogy. Exactly, and for her to yeah. you know have the significance of the Jedi and then mm-hmm. go and take this yellow lightsaber that yeah. literally is, you know, everything has significance in movies like this right. where there's the oh, lore yeah. built up around mm-hmm. it. Especially when you have a yellow lightsaber, that is saying, like, I'm done with the Jedi. I'm done with the Sith. I'm just going to do my thing. And that's yeah. pretty much what that's, in my eyes, what that's saying. Yeah, for sure. I and But, I mean, what did we expect with a title like The Rise of Skywalker? <laughs> that is true. Uh-huh. You can't have a Rise of Skywalker <laughs> if you do not have a Skywalker to rise. Again, exactly. So. All right. Well, thank you very much, Kobe, for talking with me about no this. No problem. Thank you. And uh, I can't thank you and Coat Media Group enough for sponsoring this podcast. And I look forward to another episode. Critic Podcast is a production of Coat Media Group. I'm Jake Rydquist, the host, writer, and executive producer of the True Critic Podcast. Our producers are Teddy Hirschfield and Kobe Manzo. Our executive producer is Teddy Hirschfield, and our associate producer is Kobe Manzo. Our theme song is Tech Knowledge by Peter Spacey, found from Artlist.io. Coat Media Group is your source for professional, quality, video editing, and audio content for corporate and personal video production. You can contact Coat Media Group at coat.mediagroup at gmail.com or you can visit their website at www.coatmediagroup.weebly.com.